Hi and hello, watch fans, and welcome to another edition of The Real Time Show. With me, your friendly neighborhood jeweler, Aloma Joseph, I have Vivo Bastardo, Mr. Enthusiast, Phil Toledano on the show. Hello, hello, and thank you so much for having me on. For those that don't know Mr. Enthusiast, run, run to your Instagram, go check it out, at Mr. Enthusiast, M-I-S-T-E-R-E-N-T-H-U-S-T-I-S-T. Phil. Yes. Why the hell that handle? I'm endlessly curious and endlessly enthusiastic, much to the chagrin of my bank account. <laughs> so I just find there's so much in life that I know that God, this is going to sound like a terrible t-shirt, but there's so much in life that's so worth being interested and enthusiastic about from, you know, Seikos to Pateks to cars to clothing to architecture to design to all of it is interesting to me. And you're very enthusiastic by nature. Yeah, yeah, you, yeah, you're very interested by nature, so it's actually a very logical name. And, and and what's the Viva Bastardo about? Well, hang on, let me just finish one last thing about the, the, the I'm sort of part enthusiastic bastard, part evangelist. So when I find things that I really like, I really want other people to like them too. Like I want to say, look at this thing I found, it's super cool, you should be into it too, because this is why it's cool. So I kind of evangelize all these things that I'm into. And then why Viva Bastardo? Um, what? Well, I guess for years, I've always called people Bastardo as a kind of affectionate name. And then during the pandemic, it kind of weirdly occurred to me, hey, that could be a great brand. Um, so it kind of became an accidental, uh, very small cult brand. For those that don't know Phil, as you could have guessed by his accent, you grew up partly in the UK. I know you have a mum who's French. French Moroccan. So I grew, up Moroccan. In, I grew up in London. Amazing. And you speak French, yeah. uh, but don't make me. I won't. But and <laughs> I don't. I don't know if you're equally crazy about cars as much as you are about watches. Well, what's actually the truth there? I mean, it really depends on the day. Like if I've gone out for a drive, and I just it just reminds me of how exciting it is to be in something that's beautifully designed that sounds amazing that gives you that kind of thrill of acceleration. You know. I like them all. I like all of them. I mean, that's such a short attention span. It just it, it depends on the day, on the hour. Like, I'm very excited about that. Do you know the Hyundai concept car that they came out with last year that was yeah. hydrogen, that, that based on a Trujaro design? Yes. It may be coming out with it for real. Um, so I was lucky enough to have Simon Lowesby, I think that's his last name, on the podcast a while ago, who was the head designer for Hyundai. So I sent him an email this morning to go, Bastardo, it's true. Please tell me if this is going to be a real thing. And I'm sure he, he's not allowed to tell me. But imagine if that's a real car and it looks the way the concept does. It would be extraordinary. So I, you came on my radar because my colleague and buddy Dala sent me your handle years ago, even before you did that Tudor P01 that you bastard. Oh, Bastardo Tudor. Uh, Bastardo Tudor, which... Blew my mind. I'm like, that's a cool dude. And yeah. that's how you came, that's how you came on my radar. And then I started following your handle. And I don't even know how we met. And I I love the banter on WhatsApp that we have. We yeah. have a lot of overlap in car styles and watch styles. And and also in ambitions. Like you're making watches now. I'm making watches or a watch. So there's yeah. things that we kind of want to do. Like yeah. it's like I can't when I get interested in something, I can't just I, I, 
there's something in me that I, I can't just be a passive bystander. I have to sort of be involved at a subatomic level in some way. So, you know, I can't just collect watches. I have to make a watch with a friend of mine, or I can't just be into cars. I have to like redesign a car in some way. Like I, I, I'm just a, and I think you're not dissimilar in terms of watch. No, I'm not as cool as you are. So no, you, you are, man. You're making all sorts of horological marvels. I try, I try. I, but the thing is, I think you are really creative and I, I'm a wannabe, but I can really, really admire designers and creatives. And, and maybe I'm a, I, I call myself a, a DJ slash music conductor. I know <laughs> what's, I know what's good and I can give it a twist, but I'm, I'm, I'm envious of, of architects, photographers, designers, watch designers, uh, watchmakers, uh, car makers, etc. But what I wanted to tell you also is, you know when I really knew you were a cool guy? <laughs> when did you discover I was a legendary demigod? You know when you were really a demigod, not a demigod, a full god? <laughs> is when you demigod. said, like me, almost in the same week, how cool is the Hyundai Ionic 5? Oh. I fell off my chair that I fell in love with that car. And I said to my wife, you're not going to believe it. My next car is a Hyundai. She started laughing at my face. This is what's amazing is that what that says is design is a level. That's the thing for me. That's the, that's the part of Mr. Enthusiast that matters to me is that I don't care who makes it. I just care how beautifully it's designed and put together. And so like the Hyundai is amazing as a piece of design. Like that's way better than so many more cars two or three times the price. And I said to my wife, I said, it's the reincarnation of the Delta Integrale. Oh, totally. and, yes. and and since it's driving batteries, like what the F do I care anymore? Because I am a wannabe petrol head, but we're going to a world where they'll be ultra rare or not driven or put it in living rooms. Right. So I, I'm now fully, and you and I actually had a big discussion about cars and I asked you for advice. But okay, we're deviating. So I'm sorry. And I'm apologizing to our... No, I apologize to my <laughs> listeners because Phil is very difficult to contain. I'm a huge fan of his podcast series as well, which is called The Vivo Bastardo. What else? Where can they find that podcast? The Vivo Bastardo show is on Spotify, um, Apple, uh, YouTube, all the regular joints. Yes. And, and the most epic joint was the one with Alan Silberstein. And I admit that I don't listen to all your episodes. I told you this. I usually How dare you? I skip the car ones, but for the petrol heads listening to this episode, definitely check it out. Cause he just said that he, he talks to the head of design of the Hyundai, which I, I missed that episode. I need to go back and listen to it. So Phil, let's talk about it since you're a co Actually if we just finish on the in that Hyundai, Simon was talking about one of the other um, and this, and once you, I say it, you will see it. One of the other major influences of the Ionic Five was the DeLorean. Really? And if you look at the taillights and the front lights of the DeLorean, you can totally, the taillights are kind of like a pre-pixel design. Yeah. And, and they took that idea and made it and went much further. So you can see the influences when you think about the DeLorean and you look at the Ionic. It's amazing. Every time I see it driving, it's, it's, it, it caps captures me and uh, uh, delights me. So something I was meaning to ask you on WhatsApp, but I'm going to do it on air. What watch today is that car? <laughs> Stay. 
Well, that's a good question. I mean, because it would have to be a watch that takes the idea of the past and moves into the future. Uh -huh. I set myself up with a glorious sentence and then I have nothing. But I have nothing to give after that. I, it was a, like a kettle drum, brass orchestra, da -da -da, heraldic announcement, and then I come in and then I have nothing. It's a good uh, curveball, right? You can, you can yeah. park it. It will pop in your mind and you can shout it out because I can't contain you on this show because I'm like you. I'm all over the place. And Rob really drilled me down to become a OG serious podcaster. Don't interrupt people. Hold your horses. Don't ask long questions alone. So he conditioned me. You, on the other hand, are all over the place. Yeah, I need that because I, especially when I started doing the, my podcast, people were always like, bro, would you stop interrupting people? Because <laughs> I'm such an interrupter. And I've really, and it's like a pathological condition because I get so excited about what someone's saying. I can't, but as you say, like when you're talking to somebody, you have to give them the space to speak. And I've really been trying to interrupt. So that's what I love about you, that enthusiasm. And I recognize that. So I, Upfront apologize to our listeners. This is not going to be a Rob Nuds production. <laughs> so it's going to go all over the place. We didn't prepare this. I don't have questions for Phil. And we're easily going to fill the hour. And I'm quite sure that Phil will come on the show again. And I'm quite confident that Rob will want to sit down with you physically or in a virtual backstage studio. Because shame on him. He didn't know who you were. He's like, why do you love that guy so much? I said, Rob, what rock in Dresden are you living under? <laughs> Listen, man, uh, no one, I mean, I don't, you know, it's not like I'm a famous person. You are becoming a little bit of a celeb, dude. So again, this is my fault. We're 10 minutes in, I'm all over the place. So let's now summarize who the F is Phil Toledano. Who the hell are you, dude? Who are you? When you see who the F Everyone knows what that word is. I so why you just I say that? We, 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 we're not R-rated. We're not R-rated on the show. But no, my wife, she said, you swear too much and I have two little kids. I'm really trying to contain myself. So, okay, you know, here it goes. You and I are what you see is what you get literally all day, 24-7. Who the fuck are you, Phil? Are you a designer? Are you a podcaster? You're making <laughs> yes, a watch. Yes. Bastardizing watches. You did a, a, a panerai recently that you <laughs> put dirt in, like literally earth. You put earth in a watch. I followed her process. No, no, well, it wasn't. It wasn't. She wasn't earth. It was coffee grounds. Someone has said to me the way to make a dial all fucked up and age is you put coffee grounds on it. And so you put them on top of the dial, like damp coffee grounds. And then you put it in the toaster oven. It was, the, it was a, uh, just so people know, it was a $150 Chinese knockoff Panerai. Because the thing about Panerai is I so, like the original Panerai from the 40s and early 50s, that is perfect design language. And it's just miraculous to watch Panerai just consistently kick themselves in the nuts for decades and, and waste this amazing idea that they have, this amazing design language on like, you know, they keep making these massive, what no one wants to wear a 47 mil watch. And I know that's historically accurate, but at some point you have to, if that was a 40 mil watch with that dial design, it would look amazing. I agree. Oh, sorry. That was, that was a total <laughs> run. That was a total sideways run. Who the, who the F is Mr. Enthusiast? I'm an artist, a conceptual artist. I make art. Um, soul clothing brand, Viva Bastardo. Um, I'm making a watch uh, with my friend Alfred. Uh, the brand is, because is, we didn't have any, other, any ideas, called Toledano and Chan. Chan, C-H-A-N? Yes. C -H -A -N. Why? Because your friend, I listened to that episode that you guys were jamming. 
and his surname is not Chan. So why Chan? No, that's not him. That's no, I'm not doing. You're to, are you talking about Mark Cho? No, no, no. Mark Cho is the Armory. No, yeah. The the, the guy in Eastern Europe. Well, what what country was he in? Oh, uh, uh, Hodinki Andres Borkus. Yes, Borkus. That's the watch I ordered. No, I ordered your I ordered your watch. What did I order? <laughs> no, I'm not doing a watch with him. I'm making a watch with my friend Alfred Chan in Hong Kong. Oh, you see, you're the same one. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. You don't even know what you ordered, that. <laughs> you or you the watch you you're interested in is the one I'm making with Alfred Chan, the one I showed you pictures of. The one I'm having Andre Berkus make me a watch. He lives in check us out yeah or is it does that exist anymore but i don't even know anyway he's an independent watchmaker who makes extraordinary watches and each watch is a one-off no he what he's doing has nothing to do with what i'm doing <laughs> so i'm listening to that podcast and i'm like is he making you know I, I, can i say a bit about the watches i ordered or yeah so yeah, yeah. so i call it the, the the midas touch of the 21st century that's what you're making yeah and and i you you didn't have a logo on the dial when you showed me the prototype, so I fell in love with it immediately, yeah. and I and I love you, so I said yes, I'm ordering one, and so I'm listening to that 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 episode, Andres, and I'm like, it, it doesn't sound like that, and I and I didn't ping you afterwards, but okay, so you're basically creating two watches. So well, he's look, he's making he's making one for me, and, and that's a fascinating experience because he's such an interesting person, and what I like about him is he's truly like. People talk about independent watches and all the rest of it, but usually when you, and, and in, for instance, in my case, when you're buying a watch, my watch, Polodan and Chanwok, you're buying one of 130 or so that will all pretty much look the same. Whereas with him, each watch he makes is totally different, depending on how he feels, the ideas you have when you talk about it with him, the materials he's using at the time. So that's really amazing. That's real independent watchmaking when every watch is a one-off. Truly bespoke. Amazing. So, do you actually have a day job, or are you fully entrepreneur? <laughs> my day job was being enthusiastic about whatever it is I had to do. So, I, I used to work in advertising for about twelve years. Yeah, so I heard you say that all the time. So, what the hell did you do in advertising? Were you copyright creating ideas? What the hell? Yeah, I was. A, I was a art director, copywriter, creative director at the end. And when did you move to New Amsterdam? <laughs> I moved to New Amsterdam. I was living in Paris in the very early 90s after university, and I moved to New York in 93. And so then I got into advertising until about 2001, and then I was a photographer and a conceptual artist from, I mean, I guess from then on. So I was most, I was, I started off mostly shooting for magazines and what editorial work, fashion, that kind of stuff. But at the same time, I was always doing art projects of my own. I had a, seven books published. Uh, on various ideas that I've had. Uh, and so that's what I'm continuing to do. So when is your watch coming out? And can people listening to the show already order it? <laughs> I just had that conversation with Alfred this morning in Hong Kong. Because needless to say, I'm both enthusiastic and massively OCD. We're 95% there with the watch. I'm wearing the most recent prototype on my wrist as we speak. We've done a bunch of chase, small changes. Uh, since you saw it, actually, quite a lot of changes. So it's almost there. Now we're focusing on the box because I want the, the watch. I describe the watch as a collision between the Rolex Midas and Brutalist Architect. Because I'm a huge fan of Brutalist Architecture. I'm a huge fan of sculptural watches, which I think is kind of massively missing these days. No one's really making a sculptural watch. What most people seem to be doing is 
you know, super complications, skeletonized dials, you know, sub-dials floating above skeletonized dials, all that kind of stuff. But I'm interested in shape and material. So the box, I want it to look like a piece of brutalist architecture. So we're making it out of concrete. Uh, oh, we're just finalizing the shape. Uh, sorry, that was a very long-winded. You see, I would have interrupted myself ages ago. That was a long-winded way to say uh, we're hoping for the end. But if it's not all perfect, it'll be beginning of next. And what's the idea, Phil? Are you guys doing a run? You, did you just say 130 pieces? I think we're going to do 130, we're going to launch 130 pieces. What I'd like to do, ideally, we've been talking about is to launch, to do like a launch, you know, every six months, whatever, a release every six months, but then also always release like a special edition of what version of the watch. So kind of, because I, I really want it to be like a materials and quality story. So the watch as we're launching it is a, made of 904 steel which is rolex makes their watches out of it's a swiss automatic movement it has a lapis lesbian dial um sapphire crystal but then i love the idea of kind of continually developing and using interest more and more interesting materials and, and precious metals stones and all this kind of stuff. so maybe basically your baby jc beaver yeah, no, no, well, maybe, hopefully not a baby Duval in his current iteration. <laughs> if I could say, I'm not like, you know, I just look at that. I mean, I just look at the thing he did, and it's hard. You know, Duval was the, he's kind of this legendary figure in the watch industry. He did. He was such a revolutionary, and it's so sad to see like the thing he's making now should be the ultimate expression of his revolutionary nature, and instead, it's like a. It's like a, it's like he went to the buffet and piled on his plate everything that you're supposed to do when you make a like a epic watch, but in a totally uninteresting design. I mean, just I don't know. I look at it, I think, oh, that's from the eighties. Yeah, it's funny that well, it, two things I want to say to that because because you and I discussed this already, so it's maybe repetition of what we discussed. But it's ironic actually that you say that because you were doing a reinterpretation of the let's say epic seventies. But the thing, but look, here's, if I could just interrupt, because I'm a pathological interrupter, here's what I would say, is that what I'm hoping people see, because when you look at my watch next to the mind, it's a very different design, but it's clearly inspired by it, and I'm making no bones by it, of course, I'm, I mean, hopefully, the thing I like to see, to paraphrase Picasso, good artists borrow, great artists steal, mm-hmm. and the idea, I, and I, maybe I've got that <laughs> wrong way around, but the idea is, it's okay to see the origins that the influences in a, in a design. But you want to move that vernacular. You want to, you want to, whenever you're making something new, whenever you're bringing something new into the world, you, I really believe you must add to the vocabulary of creation. You must add a new word. You must push forward parameters, ideas, thoughts. You can't just say the same phrase again. I agree with you 100%. And, and I was just pulling your leg because you, you're using it as a stepping stone and, and getting into it. And I know that. Watch three, four, five will be unique, and I'm going to reserve that question for after my comment about Bever. What a lot of people mistake Bever for, he's not a designer, he's not a watchmaker. He is a marketing genius. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. He made a commercial watch that will sell. He's building a commercial company. You are an artist, so you approach it differently. And the problem is, he, I think he's a victim of his own success. Because he's labeled the godfather of the watchmaking, he's in the living legend, and there's nobody that 
did what he's ever done, I think the expectations were so high that 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 he's like Icarus. He flew too too close to the sun. You know what I'm saying? Well, I do, but I also think that if you look at what he did with Google and all those kind of people, yes. he was doing really radical things. He was doing things that people weren't doing. No, that's not completely true. Well, what did he do? Well, I mean, the, the rubber strap and the, all that kind of that. And That's not him, though. He didn't make that. Uh, Mr. Coco came up with that idea. Yeah, but didn't he? But he saw that and marketed it, right? Yes. So he's a marketeer. He, he just translated what Coco did, the art of classic fusion or the art of fusion, and he just rebranded. He's a fantastic marketeer. And, and, and have you seen the watch, his new watches in the flesh? No, no. Reframe until you've seen it in the flesh. So the bracelet is magnificent. I think he rushed it too much because, you know, he had health issues. He's healthy again. But he's not the young Adonis that everybody wants him to be. But but let's reserve that. I do really like the bracelet. I think the bracelet is super cool. Yeah. Look, you're, you're right. The expectations are enormous. It's kind of like it was like sort of waiting for the next Blade Runner. Yeah. It's a movie. Like the second, the, the, it could never be as good as the first one is so mythological in people's minds. But people who love Blade Runner, that the second one, it was almost impossible for it to be as good or better. Yeah. I mean, I guess I look at that, when I look at it, I don't see, and maybe you're right, that maybe when I hold it in my hand, uh, it will be, I'll be like, okay, I was completely wrong. And I'm happy to be wrong. He never intended to make a new design. Huh? He says it's bringing all, he doesn't want to be manufactured. He says the Swiss industry was never manufactured. It's all about bringing all the material out together and creating something timeless. And that's what he did, right? with this watch and being bring all the best together and that's it now to follow up on that question phil because i have so much to ask you and and we're going fast what if 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 you got disappointed by jcb fair watches launched and watches of wonders this year what in the last two three years really really spoke to you and you said hey that's new 100 new design in watchmaking what that's easy i'd have to say rest Essence is so, I, I just, I, I, I think it takes, you have to be both utterly delusional and you have to be, to make something that different, you have to be really delusional. Because I know I had, I had Benoit on the podcast and I know he talks about how it's really like, it's actually really how we read time and all the rest of it. But really it is because it may be a more natural way to read time, but that's not how we've learned to read time. So when you get a resonance, you have to relearn how to read time. But I just think that I, I admire the idea that he really created his own design package. You, you look at a resonance and it looks like nothing else. And he's, there's no, there's no, you don't look at it and go, oh, I can see. I agree with you 100%. I had Benoit by coincidence on the email today. I'm bugging him to become a dealer. And I'm, I'm contemplating which one to buy for my private collection. So spot on. Well done. What, what one are you interested in buying? I think I, I fell in love with the number one from day one. No pun intended. So I have to start with that one. I love the 1.2 or the one square. I don't know if it's one square or 1.2. So it's a bit of a cushion square shaped one. Um, I actually like all of them. I, do, I just don't like the scuba one so much. I, I think it's number three or four or five. I always forget. One of those. You know what actually I really love is I love I think the entry level lot, the seafoam one. They just twelve and a half k is is a bargain. It's a bargain. Yeah, and I think that's one of the most successful designs, oddly enough, that because it's so Spartan. Yeah, just kind of a shape. 
Reminds me of a, of a Nazi helmet a bit, but I love it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, those seafoam Nazi helmets they're always wearing. Uh, no, I, I, I had it in my hands in Geneva this year, and it's, it's superb. It sits beautiful in the result. Benoit is an amazing guy, so he's a real philosopher, great designer, modest, friendly, great guy. So yeah, fantastic. It's actually a great uh, curveball. If I, if I hadn't spoken to him today, I wouldn't, that wouldn't pop in my mind. I know you have the first Grail watch done by Revo with him at yeah. Silberstein, yeah. which I love. It even pushed Alain to come with a new design language on his bow style inspired signature. I love, I love that he went further than he normally does. Yeah. Because it's evolution. Because I think that it, it, with someone like Alain, the, the, the trick is that you, you're, it's kind of like Warhol or Lichtenstein. Like your idea can become a prison unless you push against the walls. And his design language is so strong that. It, and sometimes I feel like it's hard to avoid. It. It's almost a reflex to make it and to make something new, like he did with the Grail Watch collaboration with Isas. He had he did something totally unexpected, which I loved, and I'd love to see more. The podcast you did with him was amazing, and unfortunately, his mic wasn't that well. And sometimes you cut him short. Yeah, with my interruption. <laughs> so you definitely need to get him back on the show. And and yeah. and, and and for our listeners that know the show, spam. Phil on his DM or wherever you want to reach him because he's contemplating of stopping your podcast, aren't you? Well, I did see uh, pulled their support. So now uh, I have to support it myself or find someone else to sponsor it. I mean, I'm talking to a couple of people, so it's not dead yet. Don't. Please don't. Otherwise, you can always temporarily be a guest host on the Real Time Show. I'm quite sure Rob, I'm quite sure Rob will agree. Not after he hears me interrupt it. <laughs> Yeah. Okay. And is there any other watches you want to share? I'm very curious, actually, what, what, what you think is... In terms of what I'm in looking at? Yes, later. But to finish the topic of real innovative design. So not so much mechanics. Actually, you know, you know what I think is interesting? I think that uh, people like uh, Vuitton and Chanel and all those kind of the French fashion brands are making... Like, who was, the, who, was it Chanel who did that, who saw that squeezable watch last year? The mesh watch, I, I, I just, I love that, man. I love that they made it into kind of a tactile experience. Like, when has a watch ever been a tactile experience unless it's a Braille watch for a blind? Never. And so I love that they made it like a squeezable sculpture. That's a genius idea to me. So I feel like, in some ways, those brands have the most freedom because they're not weighed down by this legacy of like, oh, and, you know, this kind of bullshit. Like, they can just kind of play. And you see that with some of their designs. So I think in some ways they're doing the most. Did you ever own an Octofinismo? No, I love, I love that watch. I mean, I think Fabrizio. He's a real bastardo. He is a real bastardo. And, but the only problem with that watch is I wish they would make it like a 36. Mm. Because it's it, the thing that people seem to forget about, integrated bracelet watches always wear way big. So the watch I'm making is 34 in diameter. But it, when you look at it, you would never, ever think it was 34 in diameter. And I think, I, well, how, is, how big is an Octo-Chilis? Is it 42? Uh, I believe it's only, it's only 40, if I'm not mistaken, by heart. I have one, I wear one, but um, I always forget because you can't compare it to anything, right? It's, it's, it's not square, it's not round, it's technically octagonal, but it's not really. And the, 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 the lug widths are so wide. 
So it's true what you say. And on that watch, it's even a wider bracelet. But I, I was very curious what you, I know you, I know you, you appreciate and love Fabrizio. I was just curious if you ever had one. No, I, I'd love to, I, I actually, I'd, I'd love to have the skeletonized one, I think is the best. And I love that watch that's a skeletonized thing. Uh, I don't know, for some reason that, that matte black ceramic situation, it just all feels so kind of like Terminator, like Arnold Schwarzenegger, you know what I mean? Like, I love that. I love that. That's not all actually the, um, what's the name of that? Japanese. Tadando? Yes. Yeah. That one is really cool. That's, that's my favorite. The first one with the Zen Garden. Yeah. 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 That's, exactly. Uh, that that's blew my mind. And I wanted, I want to segue to the tattoo watch you did that, that naked sub that you tattooed and. Oh, so a segue. So engraving. Yeah. So I'm, I don't have tattoos. I love somebody who has full sleeves or full body or Maori or whatever. I, I, I didn't do it for myself. But the, the one day oh, Bulgari did with um, uh, the retailer Lolo from Chrono Passion in Paris, I love that too as a canvas. It's a beautiful canvas to use. So using that as a segue, is it King Flume that you did that? No, no. <laughs> Those are two, you, you've done a mashup of two different Instagram accounts. <laughs> uh, is it Bulgari Thai mix? Bulgari mix? Uh, no, it, it's a road pigate. No, it's uh, it's King Nerd. King Nerd. So, so I, yeah. I had had this idea because I kind of come from a conceptual art background, an advertising background, very interested in the idea of ideas. So I thought, what, how, what if I, it would be so interesting if you made Rolex dials that connected with the sub, the function of the watch? Because, you know, there's a Rolex Submariner for diving. So you have a diving themed dial for that watch. You have a Rolex Air King. So you have an aeronautical themed dial for that watch. I mean, it's a small idea, but no one had really done it. Because I think when I looked at, I kept looking at all these engraved Rolexes. I thought, yeah, it's kind of cool, but I wish there was more substance to the idea. There was a reason for the engraving other than like engraving cool shit on the watch. So I had that idea. And then for like two years, I was trying to find an engraver who would, and I kept saying, Okay, here's my idea, and no one was interested. And then eventually, I stumbled across King Nerd's work, and and Johnny, who's King Nerd, is just such a brilliant engraver, and he loved the idea. He got it immediately, um, and so we made a limited edition. We did the first one we did was the 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 I guess it's almost like a Jules Verne inspired engraving of this old fashioned diver fighting with a giant octopus, and so we engraved that on brass. Um, and then put it into a sub, a Rolex sub. And then the second one we did was an Air King with this, uh, like an image of a, it was a Spitfire, a World War II Spitfire shooting down a, a German Messerschmitt. <laughs> because, you know, it, it, Johnny and I are both English. So if we grew up with those kind of comic I'm a very visual guy. So when I remember a name or whatever, I remember their pictures, watches, faces, whatever. So it's the P01 you did and those two Rolexes. That's what I remember. That's for me, Mr. Enthusiast. And, and your Vivo Bastardo is that, that Lancia Elephant logo thing. Right. So that's how I remember you. Okay. The P01 is a totally different kettle of fish. That was, that was a whole... When I saw the P01, the Tudor, I, I, I loved the watch. I think, but it just, felt, um, it just felt like it needed to be old. Like it needed to look like some guy just worn the shit out of it two years of top secret missions, you know, diving and 
and and garroshing guards from behind with a piece of wire and and like machine gunning people from bushes. I don't know what. You know, I felt like it needed history. So I took a P01 that my wife had given me and I and I just kind of just I thought it would be an interesting experiment. So I just kind of aged it and, and I remember at the beginning of that experiment, so many people were like, Bro, bro, this is crazy, you're ruining the watch. And then by the end of it, we're like, hey, can you make one for me? Which is kind of gratifying. Did you? Did you know? Did I make any further No, no, because I feel like if I fucked it up, I you know, then then they'd be mad. So I, it's too great a risk. I mean, I can make a, I can screw up my own watches. Do you still have it? Yeah, yeah, of course, of course. The only problem with the P zero one is yeah, it is. I have one too. Not not yeah. bent up like yours, but yeah. But I feel why you did it, and I love the philosophy and the execution. So, on topic of collecting, are you a collector? Yeah, I've noticed with your cars. Are there a few that you'll kept keep forever? Because it seems your rotation is very high. You're 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 those I call them the experienced collectors, not experienced, but that one <laughs> the experience. Well So you you rotate a lot, meaning in and out flux. Yeah, well I do rotate a lot, but I certainly rotate and, and I, I think it's driven by a few things. One is number one is I'm very interested in in having different experiences. But number two is I have limited funds and limited space. So if I had unlimited funds, I mean, holy shit, man, all the cars I've owned, I kept them. They, it's worth so much money now, but the, you know, it's, it is what it is. So, uh, yeah, so I keep things for a few years. I mean, there is one that has been a kind of a steady a constant, which is the BMW M1. I've had that for the longest. Um, and I feel like that if I sold everything, that would probably be the one car I'd keep. Because it's really beautiful. It's a, it's a super cool piece of design. It's really fun to drive. It's great to drive. I mean, it's the car that kind of made me sell everything I had in the 60s and 70s and buy 80s and 90s cars. And it's cheap to fit. And it's reliable. And good quality. It's all English. Vintage. Yeah, with more Yeah, yeah. Or it's at it. So, you know, you know that if you get in the car, most likely it will drive. Interesting. And, and what about watches? Do you have a few cornerstones or ones that you would never let go? I started collecting in 2015 and I... I I worked my, through, my way through, like I had a very big vintage Breitling collection. I still really, really love vintage Breitling. I think they're amazing. I think for me, at least, much more interesting than Hoyer. Um, just the design and the audacity of the design is really interesting. And then I had a military watch collection. I had a Lemania collection. I kind of, but I've washed up on the shores of vintage Rolex from the 40s, like Chronos and 70s Patek. Um, so those I feel like are the sort of cornerstones of my little collection. Um, and then, I mean, look, who's to say, like, I may, maybe in a year or two, I'll say, you know what, I'm tired of vintage 70s by tech, but at the moment, I really love that stuff. I feel like, also, I feel like no one's really looking around that area, although they are more and more so, but, but it's kind of, it's relatively untouched and it's pretty cheap comparatively speaking. Like you can get an amazing vintage seventies Pytech that's incredibly rare for like fifteen grand, uh, and and that I mean it's a shitload of money, but in the context of Pytech or other vintage watches, kind of a bug. So you said that that design does it for you, right? Yeah. So technically, it surprises me that on paper you love Rolexes. Are Rolex watches? 
design objects for you? Oh, yeah, man. Well, okay. So I like, well, I like specific relics. Like I like the 70s. The Midas stuff is amazing. Uh, some of the 70s Cellini are really fantastic. Um, and then the Rolex chrono, chronos from the 40s. Yeah, so the pre-Daytonas you, you collect, I know, yeah. Yeah, all the pre-Daytonas. Yeah, that's that's the stuff that I really love because I just feel that they're, they're, well, first of all, they're rare, but I love that kind of super fussy dark. So is rare an important aspect? Do you want to be different than the rest? Or is it, I don't think it's economically driven with you. That's not the vibe I get. Oh, yeah, Matt, look, I'm a huge snobby bastard. <laughs> so... So I really love, like rare, I mean, rare is, there's nothing I, I love going to like the, you know, the, the horological sausage party and being the only pizza wearing something. Like I love that. And, and, I, and I love even more going to the sausage party and seeing someone wearing something I've never seen before. But it's not about how much it costs. The, it's about rarity and beauty. Yeah, because you don't do the flexing game. You don't do the pissing contest, it seems to me. Well, I, I don't do that in part, man, because I just, you know, I, I can't compete. Like, I can't compete with some geezer who's got like a, you know, factory diamond set, Nautilus, whatever it is. You know, I, I haven't got that kind of money, but I can compete with curiosity, obscurity. So, uh, but it's not, it's not, it's not really about competition, but I, I, I find that I, what I, what I prize the most is imagination. And above all things, so there's nothing more inspiring to me. Walk over, and some guy's got some obscure, really beautiful quartz watch, Omega, whatever it happens to be, from the 80s. I've never seen love. To me, that says that guy has two things he has imagination and he has audacity to resist the gravitational pull of buying like a fucking red sub or whatever it happens to be. And not that a red sub isn't a lovely watch, it just requires no imagination. Yeah, or you buy it for the wrong reasons, either economically as a commodity or you want to flex. And that's a pity, in my humble opinion. And that's what I love about you. And, and it resonates with me that you are like that. Because on Instagram, what do I love most is being surprised by vintage watches I've never seen before. So that kind of stuff really, really makes my day even. And, 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 and the few that I, I, I follow online or in the real world are you, Ronnie M., Goldberger, who is the OG. Well, Goldberger is like the like a giant horological spider. He has just these long limbs, and the, he's in the middle of a spider web. And I feel like everything that Auro is interested in just kind of you know the people bring it to the high priest, heads bowed, hoping he will accept their offerings. So I feel like I wonder how. I had, he was on the podcast. I was asking how hard is it for him to find new things. He said very. And I imagine it must be, but I also imagine people must bring him stuff all the time. The funny thing is he, he even inspired me. So I've never heard of Mercy Instruments. I saw it on his Instagram. I'm like, beautiful watch. So I thought it was a 20, 30K watch. So I started Googling, never heard of it. And I saw it's a 650 watch and I bought it. And, 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 and for me, he therefore is, again, I knew it, but an, a proof, proof that he's the epitome of a real collector. He's not a watch snob. He just goes to according what's beautiful aesthetically. He likes those Pierre Cardin watches. Yeah. From the 70s, which cost like 600 bucks. And they're just so interesting. But they're epic because Cardin yeah. was an amazing designer. That brand yeah, has been right. been uh, raped and ruined the last 30 years. But 
Cardin himself was an amazing designer. Yeah, like if you look at the stuff he was making in the 60s and 70s, it, it, it was extraordinary. Yeah, interesting. I said I would save a question for you later. Yes. <laughs> but I have a zillion... I have a zillion questions like floating in my head because I didn't write anything down. But I, I'm I'm quite keen to hear who is on your radar or who who, who do you want to speak about or what watches that were launched or what what gets you enthusiastic in watchmaking today on the pulse of of today. So well, I don't know, man. It's hard to say because I I I feel like. Um, I, I guess I'm mostly like a vintage geezer. Like I feel like there's something about like old things that are so they acquire some kind of this sort of ridiculous to say they acquire some kind of soul. The passage of time gives makes them more interesting than they might be if there was a new watch. I don't understand why that is. I feel you. I have the same, but but you have also that duality. That you love the the, the the cutting edge modernity of things. Look at the Resonance. Look at the Ionic Five, right? So yeah. So so you have that duality. Are you Gemini? Are you asking me out on it? Yes. <laughs> a horological <laughs> wiener party. <laughs> <laughs> I'm uh, I'm Sagittarius. I don't know what that. I I don't know either. But but you have this duality. It seems. Okay, you know what? What modern? You know what much I love, and I. Uh, is the Rolex Palm Dial. Okay, interesting. Date just. Is that, that's a date just. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, with the Jubilee uh, bracelet and the fluted bezel. <laughs> I hope these words are hilarious. So that watch, man, I just think that's so cool. I feel like that's... If you think about the context of Rolex, Rolex are really kind of weapons-grade level of boring. Like they don't... But then every now and then they do shit that you're like, wow, you know, who was eating mushrooms in the design shop on this day? Because that, like, uh, the palm dial, there's no precedence of that, as far as I know. And it's just a bit, and it's kind of radical, if you think of it. I literally also said, what mushrooms did they eat on the first day of Watches and Wonders this year, on the 27th of March, in a positive way? So let's yeah. talk puzzle, day date. What's your stance on that? Uh, oh, I, hate, I, I find it very ugly. I find it really just, it just, but I do, I do, and I quite like to see this in person. I like the one with the, the dots one seems more interesting than the puzzle. The dots, so you mean the oyster perpetual with the b- bubbles? Yeah, yeah, that's it. Yeah. yeah. So hey, exactly, that spoke to me and I found it literally bubbly and and I ordered one for my son and daughter in the smallest. I didn't order 41. Besides that, that's case size is too big, but I, I didn't buy it for speculation. I think they're super fun. And a lot of people think they're utterly crazy. So the day that they liked either for the emojis or the funny words or because it's super rare because it's a special edition and half of the world even still thinks it's an April Fool's joke. Um, but they're making, but yeah, no, but, but Rolex used to make crazy stuff. I mean, think of the logo versions with Domino's Pizza and uh, Pan Am and I don't know what else. Yeah, but that was, but that, okay, but that wasn't crazy. That was just an exercise in marketing. That wasn't, that, I, I mean, the crazy stuff, I mean, it's interesting because when you look at, say, Patek 70s versus Rolex 70s, the crazy shit that Rolex was making in the 70s was all the Cellini stuff. But for the most part, I think Patek 70s far, is far more interesting than Rolex. 
I totally agree. The ones I like from the 70s is, is those bark. Oh, yeah, yeah. Day dates or the full matte gold ones or they, they make crazy stuff. I mean, uh, our sports on watchbase.com is to, to collect images of all these rarities where no reference numbers exist for that watch. You can't even label them for Google to index them correctly. But I, I found that the jigsaw one or the puzzle one, whatever it's called, I don't know. Like to me, the design just seemed goofy and half-fisted. Whereas the bubbles one seemed like a well-resolved piece of design. Whether you like it or not, that's another issue. But but I, I just thought it was a piece of design. It was better. It just, you know, it seems. Yeah. And I like that they use the other dial colors as the bubbles to overlay the turquoise. I mean, what I, you know what I would have loved is if they had baguette uh, stone, they had stones instead of markets, like different colored markets. Yeah. yeah, that would be funny. And what else? I don't, you tell me, Matt, because I can't remember anything because I'm Cena. So why don't you tell me some? What, what did you? I, 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 I love what Zenith Defy 21 was and did. That's now fading out a bit for that Royal Oak ish integrated bracelet Defy. But I think Zenith. Zenith did the duality of the retro-inspired vintage. I, I, I've been complaining for years that although I love vintage watches, I love reinterpretation of vintage watches, either one-on-one -on -one copies, which hardly exist, so they're mostly modernized retro versions of the, the originals, which I don't mind, and I buy them because it gives you the vibe, but the quality and sturdiness of today and the reali reliability of today, but we are so far deep on that bandwagon of retros, we forgot to design new stuff. So for me, the, uh, Fabrizio Bonamassa with Bulgari, what they're doing is amazing, especially the Octofinissimo. The Zenit Defy with the Caliber El Primero 21 is modern. It's new. Is this they have skeletons, they have two rions, but they're now slowly fading out. Maybe you know the one with Felipe Pantone. <laughs> I just like the way you said that, man. Felipe. I don't bastardo. I don't know. When I'm looking, I just Google them, and all I see is like the skeletonized stuff. And 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 then and then why am I already 25 years head over heels in love with Ulwe and BNF? Ah, you see, okay. So for me, Ulwerk is interesting because I really like the idea, but I have I rarely see an execution that works. Like, I really admire, like, they're doing this kind of futuristic space age thing. But then every time I see, uh, and again, look, maybe in person, it's a whole other kind of religious experience and the heavens open. But when I see pictures of them, they just kind of seem like, like sentences with poor punctuation. Well, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, they don't flow. They don't, they don't, they don't seem cohesive as a design. Like I get that. The, they, the... Have you interviewed Martin Fry? No, is he a work over? Yes, you'll love Martin because he's also very philosophical, like you are. I pretend to understand him and 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 act as if I'm on his level, but I'm not, of course. But um, you need to get him on the show, so um, you'll love it. And 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 I feel you because I'm also half about. I'm a collector, and I have difficulty letting go. And Rob and I discuss that on the show often. When should you let things go? What? When shouldn't you? And not to be well, aware. When do I? Yeah. Two rules. Either if I need the cash, because for me it's also, everybody has his limitations. Even if you have 10 G-Shocks or 
10 baguette uh, nautiluses that you were talking about. Everybody has this limitation, financial or space in their safe or whatever. So either that or if it, if I, I have a lot of watches and in the daily rotation, I'm very erratic. And if I pick up a watch, it doesn't bring a smile to my face, then it gets nominated. And what does it get nominated for? To be iced out. I freeze it for six, nine, 12 months. If I pick it up again and it doesn't give me a happy vibe, I let it go. Oh, you have you have like a solitary confinement cell that the watch is confined to. And it's like, no, I'm serious. I have like, I used to have two bank safes at different bank locations. At work, we obviously have safes. I have some hidden in my sock drawer. And sometimes I loan out watches. I forget I loan them to either my dad, brother, friends. And they come back to me. It's like a little bird, right? If you really love it, you set it free. If it comes back, it was yours. And if it doesn't come back, it was never yours. But um, so yeah, and then and then I I literally if if they're iced out, I put them really like in the back of a vault, and then you know I pick them up and then. So that's how I do it a bit. But and now I have like a huge influx this year of things ordered, things on my wish list, and I'm about to pull a trigger on a. It's a young time. It's not really vintage yet. So Rob and I recorded an episode today, a Q&A episode, and somebody sent in a question for the mailbag. And, and he said, yeah, I have a rule of thumb that if my watch box is full, something has to go before I buy a new one. What do you guys think about that? What do you do? Da, da, da. So my answer was buy another box because you need to get rid of this, this simple OCD tendency. Right. Okay? It's true. So so if a font is off and I love everything about it, a watch, I still won't buy it because that font will set me off. Oh man, don't get me started. Don't get me started with that typography on watches. So no, let's go. Let's do it. Let's talk about that. So Breguet numerals, yay or nay? Oh, I love Breguet numerals. I'm just talking about like, like for instance, Patek, modern Patek, the worst typography, the worst. It's all like, you know, it's like there's some designer with Windows who never used Arial or something. Yeah, who never uninstalled Windows Win, Windows ninety five, and all he does is use Arial or like. I mean, I'm waiting for a watch style from Patek with papyrus on it. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, it's the worst, the worst. So I want to test something with you. The Hermes with their own font. Yeah, I love it. So that did it for me. That put Hermes from, not their horological. Yeah. They own 25% of Vaucher Manufacture, and they make everything fantastic. But the day they designed their own font, I'm like, yes, these geezers understand. I totally agree. Absolutely, man. Absolutely. That watch is beautifully designed. I can't remember the name, but the, the typography is really good. Yeah. You know who else has really good typography? is the Naoya Hida. Yes. You have one, don't you? Yeah, I do. And I met I was I, I met him the other day at the armory. Okay. And and it was what it and then and then Mark Cho, who owns the armory, uh he was he's he's seen the watch I make. He was like, Go on, tell Hidasan about your watch. Like, no, no, no. <laughs> I was so like oh, I can't and then he made me show Hidasan my watch. But the thing I was talking to Hidasan about was I was I was just I was, what the the way he's done the typography of his name is utterly exquisite and it raises, it, elevates it. I love that he engraves the dials. They're hand out. and and yeah, and and I've 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 been I've been actually ogling his account and sitting and then, and I put my collector's hat on. I'm going to order one. Oh, which one, man? So I am not in love with Brigand numerals. Um, I can appreciate them, but I don't love them. I don't like Brigand hands either, but I can appreciate them. And I would I think the only watch I will ever own with Brigand hands 
is an actual brigade watch. Right. Actually, speaking of typography, the letter cutter, I think, is the one they did when they armory designed it. Yeah, that's the newest dial they did, didn't, isn't it? A what? So, so, so the newest, he, he made a new batch this year. He just dropped last week the collection 2324, Ido-san. And, uh, I don't know, I don't know if he, I don't think. There was a new font in there. That's the cutter you're talking about. So that peaked. I know, Lessig, I know they had Lessig cutter last year. I don't know Did if he? it is in this year, but it's amazing. And, and so my gut feeling says go for the modern font, but then I don't know why. I, I think that I need to break that tendency and go for the Brigade numerals on his watch. So so I've been thinking about it a lot. Now, a question for you. Why do you think that him and actually many Japanese high-end watchmakers cling on to the old European style, uh-huh. whereas Japanese have such cutting-edge designs, right? Also in cars, and in watchmaking, and look at Psycho Citizen. One of the things the Japanese do, anyone else, is they kind of, they sort of absorb everything that's ha- that's gone before, and they'll, and they'll sort of excrete out a version of something that's, that came, that existed before, but is somehow better and more perfect and slightly different. So, you know, and I know a lot of people go, oh, look at that, I get you more Hida watch. With the, is like a, a, a Tech 96, I think it is. Just mm-hmm. There are a lot of similarities, but there are also extraordinary amounts of differences. And in a way, it's it becomes its own thing. Like I own this pair of shoes that you think would be Converse, but they're not. There's some Japanese brand called Paradise Rubber, and they've kind of looked at all the American 1950s sneakers and made a version that's just more appealing than a Converse. So what's your stance on Grand Psycho? Do you, do you, do you own one? Did you have them? No, no, I find I find Grant Baker generally speaking, I find them massively uninteresting. I don't know why. Although I will say, Grant Seiko cases from the seventies are really cool because they're very sculptural. Exactly. So I love. I want to love Grant Seiko. I love the finish, obviously the polishing. I love their type of dials. Just so you know, man, it sounds like you're saying Grand Seiko. <laughs> Which, which, like a psycho is in psychopath. I love Grand Psychopath. It's psycho. Yeah. You know, you know, Romaric from Second Second should do a collab with them and, and do something with the psycho. I call it Grand Psycho. P.S. P.S.Y.C.O. Yeah. That'd be great. Yeah. So in Dutch, it's very similar. So it's maybe my Dutch accent kicking in at the end of my work day here in, in, in old Amsterdam. So it's time for a drink. So I want to love everything about it. So dials, they do amazingly. Caliber is. But the finish on the calories is not up to par to the polishing of the cases, but the, the, the straps are rubbish. Yeah. And, and what I want is to bring with that 90s cycle vibe of innovative design. And that's what I miss in Japanese watchmaking. It's true that at least the Japanese designers, watchmakers that I'm, that I'm exposed to are very, as you say, they're very rooted in the past. I mean, do, it, it's still a, a, its own thing, but you clearly see connections to very classical watchmen. And it, as you say, I mean, I'm, I'm hugely enamored of everything Japanese. I, I used to go there a lot. I love it. I love, I love how everything matters there. Um, and it would be cool to see something as kind of as out there as some of the other designs in watches. Phil, 
I can go on for hours. I think we should wrap it up. I would love you to come back on. Thank you, Sergeant. I think it's been such a delight and joy to blab it with you. Will you share pics with people that are interested in your watch if they DM you? No. If you go to Toledano and Chan, T-O-L-E-D-N-O-A-N-D-C-H-A-N on Instagram, there's a small kind of sneak peek picture of uh, designs. So you can get a sense of what it's going to be. Uh, and then please join, you know, follow so you, for updates, that kind of stuff. Um, but I'm hoping September, October, the thing will be ready. So I highly recommend you guys to follow that account. Until then, also check out his main account, which is at M-I-S-T-E-R-E-N-T-H-U-S-I-A-S-T on Instagram. A lot of fun. He does a lot of AI-generated images. I, I saw you put up one of the images you created with the flooding. I think it's New York. Yeah, it sort of followed full dance wormhole, like this sort of tsunami series. Uh, so it's kind of New York-ish. It's New York adjacent, shall we say. Like it's the idea of New York, but it's not. And and you made that, right? Well, were you yeah. selling it? Yeah, I mean, the, the prints, of course. Prints are available. So check it out. So watches, cars, art, if you need to lighten up your day and want to hear some laughter in your ears, just listen to this podcast. I know that I missed some episodes, so I'm going to do it. Phil, thank you so much. Lovely, as always, to chat with you. Thank you so much for having me. Hope to welcome you back soon. Thank you to all our dear listeners. If you have any questions for Rob, you can reach out to him on Instagram at R-O-B-N-U-D-D-S or Rob at therealtime.show for an email. You can find me on Instagram at A-L-O-N-B-E-N-J-O-S-E-P-H or drop us an email at A-L-O-N at therealtime.show. Thank you for listening and keep on ticking. <laughs>